Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. strangers we are back back from the break back from the september and maybe for you not back at all like this has just been one thing where you were listening to the last episode and you hit next and you are now we're here that's the magic of space time it's all relative we took a little break for september we are back now and freshly married oh just one more time we just did that (laughs) whole thing again because why the heck not It was lovely. Thank you for asking. We are so excited because of all the support that we've gotten over this last summer on the Patreon. Yes, but also just like a bunch of comments, bunch of feedback, bunch of reviews. Thank you so much for all of that. And we are in a new section of Cosmere Conversation, a new form. A new era. Yes, a new era. That sounds even more grand. I know. I'm dreaming big. Excellent. I love that because we have concluded our Rhythm of War feedback session. Took a whole year almost, but we are now going back to true form, which is Cosmere Conversations bread and butter, which is doing whatever we want (laughs) and picking apart the Cosmere from every single different angle, not just through a stormlight or single book perspective and i think that the fans have been asking for this this is actually this episode in particular has been a hotly requested episode so thank you everyone who's just been dying to hear this episode thank you for your patience and bearing with our rhythm of war series we're very excited to be uh doing a little bit more of a grab bag now Because on the release day of Rhythm of War, the party that ensued, Zoom, though I think it was, Brandon read an excerpt from the planned sequel for Six of the Dusk. It immediately sent the 17th shard and all the different forums ablaze with just the wonder of where things are going because it kind of softly confirmed a couple of things as well as provided a bunch of new speculation and so you've been asking for it we are doing it this is our first episode back from the rhythm of war coverage it's all for you this piece this single scene from a plan six of the dust sequel was read On November 17th, 2020, just for record, this is the first week of October 2021 now that we are recording this episode. So it's been a full year. There's a bunch of speculation we're going to pull from all of the different fan resources. But Brandon said that this was going to be some fun things that we are not going to see for a while in the main story, in the main books. He even gave a soft timeline, which is uh, if you are worried about the space age of the Cosmere and like Air 4 Mistborn and all that stuff being spoiled, you're going to have to probably wait 15 years before you read this. Oh, dang. So this book is not coming out soon. He also specifically says this is not yet canon. 
And I mm. want to preface mm-hmm. our reading and all of the different interpretations with this is not yet canon. We try yeah. to do a good job on this podcast and with all of our episodes of like having a speculation aspect, but mainly sticking to things that are canon and are actually written. This is not that. This is for the fans only. <laughs> and I want to make sure that everyone is aware of that as well, of course, as Hashtag all spoilers all the time. We are going to ruin every single aspect. If the, you are just coming because this came up on some feed somewhere, be warned. We're about to ruin the entire Cosmo <laughs> no. from top to bottom. It's going to be spoiled. There's some really great stuff in this little passage. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you probably know that I'm a big fan of Six of the Dusk, and I'm super excited that there is even a thought for a sequel And just like I've always suspected, these stories set on First of the Sun just have so much importance to us understanding the larger Cosmere. And this passage just reinforces that. Although it is short, it is also long. Yeah, it's right at that level (laughs) of being kind of in between. We cannot say that this is going to be a brief read through because it does have some length and because of that we think the best way to approach it is to read a little bit of it and then talk about that specific portion uh, to kind of go back and forth between the actual text and then commentary We are going to read through the full text, so if you are someone who doesn't want to go searching around on the internet trying to find this and read it, we're going to bring it to you. The goal of this podcast has always been to be a resource for those of us who don't have time to search around on the internet. So here we are doing our Cosmere Conversations job. So everything you need for the Six of the Dust sequel is right here and will be right here. We are going to both do our best, but also remember that this is not an audiobook yeah. situation. <laughs> we are not professional storytellers. We're not professional anything. Yeah, exactly. We're just your friendly, local, neighborhood, yeah. Cosmere conversations Just fan. two people having Cosmere conversations. So from the Rhythm of War release party in 2020, this is Brandon Sanderson's Six of the Dust sequel chapter. Wow, say that five times fast. Don't. It's very difficult. The ones above were human. Dusk had imagined them as strange and terrible creatures, with faces full of fangs. Artists' renditions of them from the broadsheets tended to err on the side of mystery, showing beings with dark pits where faces should be, as if representing the darkness of space itself confined, somehow, into their strange outfits and helmets. Truth was, nobody had known until this moment when, attempting to inspire trust, the two aliens from another world retracted their helmets and displayed shockingly human features. Dust stepped forward in the observation chamber which overlooked the landing pad. The chamber was supposed to be secret, with reflective glass on the outside, but Dusk had never trusted that to hide him. The ones above had machines that could sense life, and he suspected they could see him, or at least his AVR, regardless of the barrier. He'd have preferred to be out on the landing platform with the diplomats, but he supposed he should be thankful that they even let him attend. 
There were many among the politicians and company leadership who were baffled by Vatha's continued reliance on him. So we'll break there. I think this gives us a little bit more information. Up until now, we have speculated pretty heavily that the ones above were Skadrian. And I think there is good evidence for that here with their machines that can either either sense life or sense AVR, which I think is an important distinction because the only life sense that we've heard of is on Nalthus. If it's Scadrian, then it's probably bronze. Yeah, exactly. Right. Sensing uh, the magic. I want to say allomantic pulses, but it wouldn't be allomantic in this case. But it would be the pulses of investiture is what we believe. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And that's so the AVR would probably give off those pulses in a similar way. Yeah. I think that that is your strong first hint. And then as we see, it will just be backed up more and more. One's above definitely seem to be Skadrian, and this pretty much puts the pin on that theory for me. It's like now more of a fact from my perspective. If we didn't say this before we started reading as well, this story takes place about six years after the original story. The governing officials in the room with him gasped as they saw the faces of the aliens, one male, one female, it seemed, with pale skin that looked like it had never seen the sun. Perhaps it hadn't, considering they lived out in the emptiness between planets. Their helmets retracted automatically, but left stylized metal portions covering the sides of the head, reaching out and covering the cheeks. From the look of the delicate metal, ribbed like ripples of waves, those portions didn't seem like armor, more like ornament. On his shoulder, Sack squawked softly. Dusk glanced at the jet-black aviar, then looked around the room, seeking signs of his corpse. The bird could show him glimpses of the future, revealing as visions his own dead body. Ways he could, or perhaps should, have died. It took him a moment to spot the death. It was out on the launch pad. One of the two aliens stood with their foot on Dusk's skull, the face smoldering as if burned by some terrible alien weapon. What did it mean? Sack's visions had been off ever since the event five years ago, when the alien device had been activated on Patchy. Once, seeing the corpse would have warned Dusk of immediate danger, a biting insect with deadly venom, or a hidden predator. Now the warnings often felt more abstract. The ones above were unlikely to kill him today, no matter what he did, but that did not mean that they were safe or trustworthy. And I think that's another good place to break as we have more information that is just kind of like pouring over us at this point. I definitely think that this last mention kind of going in reverse order here is Sack's vision mm-hmm. and the way that he presents warnings to Dusk was transformed by the closing moments that we saw in the Six of the Dusk story. It's very interesting that... The power of the AVR can evolve in this way because it does seem like evolution. And I immediately thought of the way that, uh, like in the modern world, our stress response behaves, that our stress response and like adrenaline response was originally intended to safeguard us from, like Dusk says, 
a, a predator yeah, like immediate. hiding in the bushes. Yeah, exactly. very immediate. You are going to die right now. And in our modern age, it's often more like you have a test on Friday or like you're giving a presentation on Saturday. You're not going to die, but your body reacts in the same way. And I thought this was just a kind of interesting, magical take on that. But then also, again, interesting that the power of the AVR seems to be able to evolve in that way to account for Dusk's new modern world. Yeah. And I wonder if because he associated with the turning on of the machine, there is some type of power surge that like came from that moment that like, is it a brokenness or is it evolution? And that's kind of the question that we don't know. I think the answer. I to. think, yeah, I think that it is in sack. Like, I think that sacks power responded Whatever to it is. the need that was applied exactly yeah it's like just new that threat. up until that moment mm. exactly that threat hadn't existed now there is like a whole new set of possibilities present I like and that. so sack's ability has expanded to yes. account for that that would really make sense if we try to keep this in perspective of the greater cosmere with a power that was coming from the spiritual realm because if your world is very small then the spiritual realm really is just about what's immediately around you but if your world starts to involve you know scadrians or aliens from another a planet you're going to have such a broader scope and therefore the power of the spiritual realm certainly always existed but it would basically expand for sack sure sack would yeah. basically be exposed to more and therefore trying to interpret that and then explain it to dusk that's at least my interpretation kind of of the power and the way that it could be working what i also love is this moment about the different metals on the scadrians mm. they clearly have some type of suit that reminds me of like a, a fancy maybe like star trek level <laughs> uh spacesuit that is equipped with a full helmet and that helmet then retracts and they have these stylized thinner metal portions that come from the side of the head and then cover their cheeks and i actually think that that could be their their fabrials basically oh. their allomantic or ferrochemical powers that are maybe you know being activated by close contact to the skin and I just like see that as like a purposeful device mm, where yeah. the other, you know, helmet is just kind of a helmet. But then when it pulls back, I just, especially the way that the metal is like stylized and has, you know, some type of design, I think that that design is also like purpose built and they are clearly speaking in the language of the planet. We're going to get to that. So I think that there has to be some type of medallion that we saw in era two mm -hmm. that is somewhere. And to me, it's just like, choose the obvious thing. It's the weird metal on their sure. face. Yeah. So let's get to that part when the actual communication begins. Toward a new era of prosperity, one of them said out at the launch pad, extending a hand to Vathi, who stood at the head of the diplomats, between our peoples and yours, President. She took the hand, though Dusk personally would rather have handled a deadly asp, 
It seemed worse to him somehow to know that the ones above were human, an alien monster with features like something that emerged from the deepest part of the ocean was somehow more knowable than these smiling humans. Familiar features should not cover such alien motives and ideas. It was as wrong as an aviar that could not fly. To prosperity, Vatha said. Her voice was audible to him as if she was standing beside him. It emerged from the speakers on the wall, devices developed using alien technology. It is good, the second alien said, speaking the language of the home isles as easily as if she had been born to it. You are finally listening to reason. Our masters do not have infinite patience. We are accustomed to impatient masters, Fatha said, voice smooth and confident. We have survived their tests for millennia. The male laughed. Your masters? The gods who are islands? Just be ready to accept our installation when we return, yes? The female said. No masks, no deception. She tapped the side of her head and her helmet extended again, obscuring her features. The male did the same, and together they left, climbing aboard their sleek flying machine, which was in the shape of a triangle pointed towards the sky. It soon took off, streaking towards the air without a sound. Its ability to land and take off baffled explanation. The only thing Dusk's people knew about the process was that the ones above had requested the launch pad to be made entirely of steel. The smaller ship would supposedly meet the larger one that was in orbit around the planet. A ship larger than even the greatest of the steam-powered behemoths the Dusk people had used here on First of the Sun. Dusk had only just been getting used to those creations, but now he had to accustom himself to something new. But even calm light of electric lights, the hum of a fan powered by alien energy, the ones above had technology so advanced, so incredible, that Dusk and his people might as well have been traveling by canoe like their ancestors. They were far closer to those days than they were to, the, to sailing the stars like these aliens. Okay, let's break there. I think another point in favor of the fact that the ones above are Skadrian is that their launch pad is steel, clearly doing some steel pushing there. And we have definitely seen in Mistborn Era 2 the floating vessels use mm -hmm. steel pushing. I think that we speculated that advanced spaceflight would have to involve some combination of steel pushing and perhaps cadmium for the time dilation and relativity purposes but propulsion definitely seems to be a combo of iron and steel and so i think that that makes perfect sense and is another point in favor of scadrians as these aliens that the ones that are the ones above and then we also hear as you were saying earlier that these aliens are able to speak their language without hitch, basically, which also means they probably, like you said, have one of those little medallions, which I think is what, identity? Yes. And mm -hmm. connection. Oh, yeah. A combo. Because mm -hmm. like, you always need the necrosil, I believe, right. on the medallion. And then you have changing metals as like the second loop. Yeah. And it would make perfect sense for that to be cross Cosmere or Cosmere wide mm -hmm. as a power because it is uh, accessing capital C connection, which we already know is 
part of everyone's spirit web. And so it seems that we are shown these ones above using multiple abilities that we've already seen in Era 2 just to a more industrial capability (laughs) or, you know, a large scale capability. Yeah. I do also want to point out that Vathi says that the impatient masters that they're familiar with. Mm. And then immediately the Skadrian is talking about the islands, the gods who are islands. We have theorized that one of the letters from the Stormlight Archive was yeah. autonomy. I think we know that for sure, actually. Yeah, Word of Brandon, I believe, confirmed yeah. it. That Patchy is an avatar of autonomy. Exactly. And that he was like grooming the island in the past and this clearly seems to be some future it's very hard to say time scale i don't know what the time scale is funny it's kind of like a little insider moment because i don't think the scadrians actually know that there is an island endowed with shard power yeah they're like kind of just just... making fun of these quote-unquote backward people who like worship the islands because there is no main shard on six of the dust right it is not a shard world it is simply a world with investiture i think brandon calls it a minor shard world yes because of autonomy's influence and as we are about to see maybe some of the other shards influence as well clearly the scadrians and we assume harmony is involved in this conquest of sorts well and they do have the shard pool and things like that which we're about to get to so let's talk more about the reaction that dusk and his colleagues have to the ones above as soon as the alien ship disappeared into the sky the generals and company officials began chatting in animated ways it was their favorite thing talking like Aviar, who'd come home to roost by the light of the evening sun, eager to tell all the others about the worms they had eaten. Sack pulled close to his hand, then pecked at the band that kept his dark hair in a tail. She wanted to hide, though she was no chick capable of snuggling in his hair like she once had. Sack was as big as his head, though he was comfortable and accustomed to her weight, and he wore a shoulder pad that her claws could grip without hurting him. He lifted his hand and crooked his index finger, inviting her to stretch out her neck for scratching. She did so, but he made a wrong move and she squawked at him, pecking his finger in annoyance. She was grouchy, as usual. He felt the same way, honestly. Vathi had said it was because city life didn't agree with him. But Dusk claimed a different source. It had been two years since they lost Cokerly to disease. Without that colorful buffoon around to chatter and stick his beak into trouble— The two of them had grown old and surly. Zack had nearly died from the same disease, and then alien medicine from the ones above. The terrible AVR plague, same as those that had occasionally ravaged the population in the past, had been smothered in weeks, gone, wiped out, as easy as tying a double hitch. Dust ignored the generals and their chattering, eventually coaxing Sacks into a head scratch as they waited. Everything about this new life in the modern city full of machines and people with clothing as colorful as any plumage seemed so sanitized. Not clean. Steam machines weren't clean, but fabricated, deliberate, confined. This room, with its smooth woods and steel beams, was an example. Here, nature was restricted to an armrest, 
where even the grain of the wood was oriented to be aesthetically pleasing. Soon, with the coming of the ones above and their ways, he doubted there would be any wilderness left on the planet. Parks, perhaps, preserves, but you couldn't put wilderness in a box. No more than you could capture the wind. You could enclose the air, but it wasn't the same thing. Soon the door opened and Vathi herself entered her AVR on her shoulder. Vathi had risen high these last few years, president of the company, one of the most powerful politicians in the city. She wore a colorful striped skirt in an old pattern and a business-like blouse and jacket. As always, she tried through everything she did, dress included, to embrace a meeting of old ways and new. He wasn't sure you could capture tradition by putting its trappings on a skirt any more than you could box the wind, but he appreciated the effort. Well, Vathi said to the group of officials, we've got three months, but they're not going to stand any further delays. Thoughts? Everyone had an idea. Ways to stall further, plans to feign ignorance of the deadline, or to plausibly pretend that something had gone wrong with the aviar delivery. Silly little plans. The ones above would not be delayed this time, and they would not simply trade for birds upon the whims of the home islers. The aliens intended to put a production plant right on one of the outer aisles, and there begin raising and shipping their own aviar. Maybe we could resist somehow, said Thule, company strategist, who had a colorful aviar of Kogerly's same breed. We could fake a coup and overthrow the government, force the ones above to deal with a new organization, reset the talks. Bold idea far more radical than the others. And if they decide to simply take us over, said General Second of Saplings, wrapping his hand on a stack of papers that he held in his other hand, you should see these projections. We can't fight them. If the mathematicians are right, the orbital ships could reduce our grandest cities to rubble with a casual shot or two. If the ones above are feeling bored, they could wipe us out in a dozen more interesting ways, like shooting into the ocean so waves wash away our infrastructure. They won't attack, Vathi said. Six years or more, and they've suffered our delays with nothing more than threats. There are rules out there in space that prevent them from simply conquering us. They've already conquered us, Dust said softly. Strange how quickly the others quieted when he spoke. They complained about his presence in these meetings. They thought him a wild man, lacking social graces. They claimed to hate how he'd watched them, refusing to engage in their conversation. But when he spoke, they listened. Words had their own economics, as sure as gold did. The ones in short supply were the ones that, secretly, everyone wanted. Dusk, Vathi said. What did you say? We are conquered, he said, turning from the window to regard her. He cared not for the others, but she didn't just grow quiet when he spoke. She listened. The plague that took Kokerly, how long did they sit in their ship up there, watching as our AVR died? They didn't have the medicine on hand said Third of Waves, the company officer of medical industry, a squat man with a bright red aviar that let him see colors invisible to everyone else. They had to wait to fetch it. Dusk remained quieted. You imply, Vathi said, that they deliberately delayed giving us the medicine until aviar had died? What proof do you have? The dark out last month, Dusk said. The ones above were quick to share their more common technologies. Lights that burn cold and true, Fans to circulate air in the muggy home aisle summers. Ships that could move at several times the speed of the steam-powered ones. But all these ran on power sources supplied from above, and those power sources deactivated if opened. Their fish farms are a boon to our oceans, said the company's secretary of supply. But without the nutrients sold by the ones above, we wouldn't be able to keep the farms running. The medicine is invaluable, said Third of Waves. 
infant mortality has plummeted. Literally thousands of our people live because of what the ones above had traded us. When they were late with the power shipment last month, Dust said, the city slowed to a crawl, and we know that was intentional from the accidentally leaked comments. They wanted to enforce to us their power. They will do it again. Everyone fell silent, thinking as he'd wish they'd do more often. Let's break there. Because there was a was whole bunch. a lot of information. <laughs> That's kind of the biggest chunk that we're going to do as like a single bet. But there was just an overwhelming amount of information there that I want to go over. And I think that one of the things I would love to begin with is this concept that Dust says about how words have their own economies. Oh, such a good quote. And I, A, love that, and B, love how that line also kind of summarizes the problem Mm -hmm. that Dusk Mm -hmm. and his people are dealing with is one of economics. And that's what we are learning from this scene is that the Skadrians want AVR. It's said that they are going to set up a production facility. Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't like that at all. But it makes sense because the natural production facility are the islands that are so dangerous and well and obviously natural production is going to be slow yes they want to be able to export hundreds and hundreds of birds yeah and so if you rely on these super dangerous islands where only a few people can go you will always be at the you will always yeah you will always be at the mercy of the trappers like dusk or the people of six of the dust generally and they don't want that Clearly, this is like... I feel like it's more of just like, you don't want to wait for a bird to have babies and then for the babies to grow and like figure out what powers they have. Yeah. Yeah. Because remember, the interesting wrinkle here is that the birds are not magical. AVR, or I'll just say generally, birds exist on Six of the Dust that don't have magic powers. Do you mean chickens? Yes. (laughs) I do mean chickens, as always. All birds are chickens. We know this now. It is the things that they eat, the worms that they eat on yeah, these islands that, that become have a specific like symbiotic yes. little parasites inside the gut of the birds so, that bestow investiture. And I know that part of Six of the Dusk was the fact that Dust knows this and nobody else does, but also part of Six of the Dusk was like more people learning this secret of the island that where the AVR actually quote unquote made is mm-hmm. from eating these things. So to me, they still have this like last little trick. Yeah, that I they guess can it pull. depends. We don't really know what is known by who. Yeah, exactly. Yet with this little story. I mean, it sounds like they everyone knows but if the ones above know that then they don't actually want the avr giving an avr means nothing if you don't have the associated magical worms that they can eat well i would assume that in the like production facility they would also have the worms and just be feeding the worms to the birds I'm not 100% sold on that idea. I think there's like, this is one last little loophole. Yeah, it just seems like they would have discussed that in this conversation. They would have been like, well, give them the birds. And like, when it doesn't work, we can just be like, oh, sorry. Because we see multiple people here who are, you know, seemingly part of the cabinet or parliament or whatever form of Part of the company is what they say. That's true. Because it is not, is less of a 
government and more of like a chartered business. Like a, yeah, mercantile society. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad that you could work in some mercantile capitalism <laughs> into our discussion here. Uh, we also learned that there was a sickness, an AVR plague, mm-hmm. specifically one that had been seen previously. <sighs> and I, I was thinking, Dusk like almost says this, but not quite. My thought was, what if the ones above caused the plague? But he also specifically he says, it ha- says that it happens before. before. I know, but... They could have caused that one because they still, we don't know how long I'm they've been hanging out. I'm making squinty eyes over here. <laughs> you can't see it, but they're very yeah, squinty. Yeah, they're really squinty. Just looking at you with a <laughs> lot of anger, ones above. Suspicion. I don't know. I think that the idea that dust presents... That they just kind of let it happen. Yeah, waited for them to be desperate. And then we're like, oh, we could help you with that. And his specific call out to like the things that were traded earlier all relied back on the power sources of the ones above. But maybe there is something about medicine because it is more like a chemical process or like today, Mm. you know, we have vaccines. If you Mm -hmm. hand someone a vaccine, they can... You can like reverse engineer it. And so maybe they're worried about the reverse engineering by giving them. And yeah, I mean, that definitely seems to be the case. Yeah. I believe that the technology that was given and the way that the power source had to rely on the ones above is, you know, perfectly taken out of our own world Mm -hmm. where like a bunch of people have access or a bunch of countries have access around the world to american military technology but that also comes with the fact that like when it breaks they can't fix it uh because they have to go to american contractors who have all the parts and stuff and so you can like you can say we're selling you 500 million dollars worth of a tank but you also need to pay us $100 million a year to repairs. <laughs> exactly. And that's what it seems like they're doing here. They're giving out technology that is also a way to make them rich. Right. Because I mean, of, you're going to pay it, for that eventually. It makes me think of like the opioid epidemic. Oh, yeah. And pharmaceutical companies creating Giving a problem a- that they will then have a solution to. Yes. Right? Like, exactly. <laughs> it sounds... A lot like that, just a way to very much make these people dependent on the ones above. Yeah. And I think that overall, we could just say that. Screw you, ones above. The ones above seem bad. And like, what is going on with Harmony where he has allowed this to happen? Good call. Clearly, there's nothing in this story about Harmony, but like, what's going on, bro? Yeah. Come on. What I mean, bad actors. If he has just continued down his path of like, aggressive non-intervention yes just can't do anything yeah i guess he's just standing to the side watching his people be jerks and as we set up for our next reading section i want to make it as clear as possible that like this is definitely a story of the cosmere economy at large and six of the dusk is at the center of it we've seen one side of the equation so far with the Scandrians. And now we're going to get a little bit of a interlude where it's just the people of Six of the Dusk. But then we're going to be introduced to another Cosmere player and the concept of a warring Cosmere because of all of these economic incentives regarding investiture as like the main source. Like it seems almost like in our world, 
when the quote unquote new world was discovered and like the extraction of all of the different precious metals and agricultural goods, tobacco and all that type of stuff is just now playing it out across space. And oh, what a terrifying world that would be. Sack squawked again and Dusk glanced at the launch pad. His corpse was still out there, laying where the ones above had left, burned and withered. Show in the other alien, Vathi said to the guards. The two men at the door, with security ADR on their shoulders and wearing feathers on their military caps, stepped out. He returned shortly with an incredibly strange figure. The other aliens wore uniforms and helmets, unfamiliar clothing but still recognizable. This creature stood seven feet tall and was encased entirely in steel, armor of a futuristic cast, smooth and bright with a soft violet-blue glowing at the joints. The helmet glowed at the front with a slit-like visor and an arcane symbol, reminding Dust vaguely of a bird in flight, etched the front of the breastplate. Ooh, okay. Pause. <laughs> if you couldn't tell from the ooh, that is also code for pause. Because shard bearers okay. on six of the desks, yes. folks. Shard bearer is here. Rashar in the house. Uh, and the symbol looking like a bird in flight. Hey, I love that. Yeah, super Go. cool. I pulled up all of the uh, Night's Radiant glyphs, which obviously, and was like, which most? one screams bird in flight to mm -hmm. me? <laughs> the first one, I think possibly Windrunner, maybe Skybreaker. The Skybreaker glyph kind of looks a little bird-y as well. But then also Violet Blue. I was like, hmm, that is a Violet big Blue? to me? Because we have... I think it's a good call. Windrunner, Skybreaker. I would maybe lean a tiny bit towards Skybreaker because the color of the Skybreakers is said to be a violet-like or a purplish color. Oh, for some reason I thought they were like gray. No. So okay, the, the okay. bright blue of the Windrunners uh -huh. is not what we're talking about here. Like, uh, you don't describe. That's not the way it's described. Exactly. Yeah. So although this is also like so far into the future that maybe this is some type of uh, different light. Yes. You know, I think that is I'm a like, big what question. What if they've totally combined with like Odium at this point mm -hmm. and this could be Warlight? I think that Warlight is a great call. I think that Voidlight, described as purple, but not normally with the blue Yeah, usually tones. it's like violet black. Black is more the key giveaway for when it's Voidlight. So to me, Warlight seems like a very plausible thing. Yeah. And then we... I know that online, a lot of people are speculating that because of the height of the individual over seven feet tall oh, that it is a, it's a singer. singer exactly <gasps> now that's good speculation and i don't want to immediately shut that down i mean regular people are bigger in shard plate anyway so and importantly every being on rashar is bigger than the true. cosmere average true scadrians are our cosmere average and i believe like if one meter on Scadriel is like 1.5 meters on Rashar, something mm. like that. We're just like everything is bigger. So yeah. Kaladin himself 
compared to a Skadrian. Rashar is, going is the to... Texas of the Cosmere. Exactly. Everything <laughs> is bigger there. And that's a great way to look at it. <laughs> the Texas or just some real war-oriented society. But I think that these are the big questions that we have. Who is this Knight's Radiant? Is Are they a Knight's Radiant? Are they some type right. of... Right. Then like, that's the question. It's like, well... Who knows what's happened this far down the line? Maybe everyone has shard plate now. Yeah, maybe you know, maybe they've democratized that far. Is this a void line? Maybe it's or not a shard plate at all. Yeah. Maybe it's just their version of a spacesuit and it looks like shard plate because that's what they know. Well, we do know it's a spacesuit. That's coming up here in a second. Well, yeah, but that could also be just modified shard plate. That's what I'm saying. I think that what we are seeing here, and this is where I want to kind of just slightly separate shard plate versus spren plate or a knight's radiant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. I, I, this is not someone wearing shard plate. This is a person with a spren bond. And Maybe. we're going to, well, we're going to see a couple of things okay. in a moment. We'll read and then you can tell me what you think is your evidence. Yes. And so keep that in mind. The color, obviously, very interesting. And the fact that we have right here the greatest example of a crossover in the Cosmere. This is not canon yet, but like <laughs> this is Brandon's plan. Like his plan is to have shard so bearers fighting alimantic and ferrochemical powered scadrians who are maybe fighting another autonomy army thing like it's just going full bonkers here and let's get back to it the ground shook beneath this being's steps as it entered the room that armor it was surreal like interlocking plates that somehow produced no visible seam just layered pieces of metal covering everything from fingers to neck obviously airtight with a rounded cast to it The outfit had stiff iron hoses connected to the helmet and armor. The other aliens might have looked human, but Dusk was certain this alien was something frightful. It was too tall, too imposing to be a simple human. Perhaps he was not looking at a man at all, but instead a machine that spoke as one. You did not tell them that you had met me, the alien said, projecting a male voice from speakers at the front of the helmet. The voice had an unnatural cast to it. Not an accent, like someone from a backwater isle, but a kind of unnatural air. No, Vathi said. But you were right. They ignored each of my proposals and acted as if the deal were already done. They intended to set up their own facility on one of the islands. You have only one gem with which to bargain, people of the isles, the alien said. You cannot withhold it. You can merely determine to whom you offer it. If you do not accept my protection, you will become a vassal to these ones above. Your planet will become a farming station, like many others, intended to feed their expansion efforts. Your birds will be stripped from you the moment it becomes possible to do so. And do you offer something better, Vathi said? My people will give you back one of a hundred birds born, the armored figure said, and will allow you to fight alongside us, if you wish, to gain status and elevation. One in a hundred, second of saplings said, the outburst unsettling his gray and brown AVR. Robbery! Choose. Cooperation, slavery, or death. And if I choose not to be bullied, Sapling snapped, reaching to his side, perhaps unconsciously, for the repeating pistol he carried in a holster. 
The alien thrust out his armored hand, and smoke or mist coalesced there out of nowhere. It formed into a gun, longer than a pistol, shorter than a rifle, wicked in shape, with flowing metal along the side like wings. It was to Sapling's pistol what a shadowy deep beast of the oceans might be to a minnow. The alien raised his other hand, snapping a small box, perhaps a power supply, into the side of the rifle, causing it to glow ominously. Shard gun! Shard gun! Shard gun! There's a shard gun! There's there is a shard gun! 100% oh of shard gun, people. This is the culmination of the question <laughs> that we have been asking for many years now. There's a shard gun! Why do shard blades only exist as plate and blade? Why not other things? And then we learn in Rhythm of War that they are other things, that the spren can actually manifest as the Anything fabrials. metal, basically. Yeah. And they famously did so as the fabrials or the... Well, and this has always been a question, like, when we did our Cosmere Cage match and things like that, like, do Knights Radiant have to have a sword? Yes. Like, is it... Do you have to put someone with a sword against someone with a gun? And, like, how is that going to change and evolve and now we have com well soft confirmation because again not canon soft confirmation that there will be shard guns in the future now to go back to what i was saying earlier about why i think this is specifically someone with a spren bond mm -hmm. it is because they formed a shard gun yeah this fair is enough. like kaladin forming a spear instead of a sword shard blades dead shard blades and regular shard plate cannot change form yeah but are spren bonded individuals be they radiance or not i don't want to use the label radiant for this person yeah but the spren bond is clearly what allows like the flowing manipulation of the material and we have a shard gun which makes perfect sense because of what we see next which is that the ammunition or the power source yeah question mark question mark we don't know what it is but it's glowing and is put into the gun so the gun is the metallic form that can be very intricate, but it still can't do a Right, like you would ammunition. still have to put bullets in it. Yes, and I don't know if it's ammunition or power source, for the record. Ooh, you think it's going to be like a blaster gun like Star Wars? Yes, so it could just be like that. That would be so cool. Where it's shooting out coalesced <laughs> stormlight phaser beams. like in or something, yeah. yeah. So it could be like that. Like a laser and shooting out laser oh beams. I'm like in so Star Wars. excited. <laughs> or, and I, I pulled from some other people as well that have theorized around the internet about what this, because this is the, this is the big sure. one, guys. Okay. This is what everyone is talking about. And like what they really <laughs> want to know is what is going on here? What is this box of ammunition mm -hmm. or is the magazine as a power source? What is going on? One theory is that it's a power source to allow like laser beams to be shot mm -hmm. out. And another theory is that it is more like ammunition, that it's a somehow stormlight-powered ammunition box that the Dustbringer on Reddit had this to say about. Quote, well, it was likely a box like the Seon box is used during Rhythm of War that let them bring infused spheres with them. Unless they achieve interplanetary flight directly and not through Shadesmar, it is the only way to get Stormlight off-planet. End mm, quote. Interesting. I okay. love this concept. Yeah, that's a great call. Is that the box that we see holding a Seon 
in Rhythm of War gets shrunken and improved until it can be a mm-hmm. storage for now stay with me here because this is where it gets a little crazy it's storage for the lesser spren of this particular radiant i know i hmm. said i wasn't going to use that word but if the, i don't know about that why would you not just put them in gemstones why would you not put the spren in gemstones yeah you are putting them in gemstones but you are putting them in a gemstone like device that can get off planet and the box seemingly you know the technology could be that like if you are inside the box then you forget where you are in the Cosmere and therefore think you're on your home planet. The Seon doesn't think it's on Rashar. It thinks it is on Cell. Does it? I am completely okay, speculating. Okay, okay. I'm not saying that this is 100%. I feel like wouldn't it make more sense for it to just be like an aluminum box that would just insulate the connection. investiture? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Any type of outward connection to its location, its geophysical place is separated. Yes, it could be aluminum. Maybe it's something else. But like aluminum's fine. Like that's a fine theory. Yeah. If it is an aluminum box and that separates the Seon from its connection and allows it to leave cell, why could we not have the same thing, an aluminum box that is separating Spren from Rashar? Normally they wouldn't be able to do that. But if you kept a bunch of your lesser spren in these little boxes. Yeah, I guess the question, or my question anyway, is just like, does it have to be a spren or can it just be stormlight? It, like, I do think you it really be, need it to be spren? I think it could be stormlight, and yeah. that's the power source option. Mm-hmm. This is more like the ammunition option because we know that lesser spren oh. can become metal because they can become sure. shard plate. And so they could become bullets, like a, a uh, like a railgun, like a mm. tungsten bullet that just is infinitely yeah. uh, strong and dense, and could be shot out from the larger weapon, which is the main spring. Yeah. Okay. That's a big speculation, and that's <laughs> a lot of theories that were pulled around from a couple of different places. But I think that that is the one of the big questions of this scene that we get is where and what is this shard gun and how is it powered and how is it operating and if they can do that if they can make a gun what else could they make because seemingly we know that just a shard bearer in general is an insanely powerful yeah individual but if then you add the ability to make mechanical devices that are then powered by stormlight or powered by spren it just you know takes it off to a whole other level if you yeah. can start producing something like a gun a complex mechanism that then you throw in a power source that's just like such a huge jump from what we've seen exactly. on rishar so far and it's sep- it like transforms them from a kind of medieval pre-industrial world yeah. into very quickly becoming mashing if not surpassing scadrian technology which i always yeah. put ahead yeah Rashar a little bit like maybe raw power Rashar wins you know because they're all seven feet tall or whatnot <laughs> but Scadrial's technology was so much more advanced that I like gave yeah. them some of the edge and 
this would be a way where they could almost instantaneously surpass or at least match Skadrian technology very quickly. Yeah. I mean, if you have semi-intelligent technology. Exactly. Through spread. It's like, almost like, you obviously, know, yeah, you're just like game over. <laughs> On that note, I had a couple of other thoughts about just like this being who arrives because we get a few more details about them. I do think that it's possible that this person is a singer just from like the descriptions. I also was kind of wondering like, is it possible that this thing is an AI of some kind? What makes you say that? That's interesting. So you're saying just like some type of, as they said earlier, as Dust speculated, some type of like robot in shard plate. Yeah, because of the way that he describes the voice. And I think like, okay, maybe the voice just sounds unnatural because it's, you know, coming through like an amplification sort of device. But then also like, maybe it's like a Siri type thing, you know, because yeah. like Siri sounds like a person, but also not like doesn't. Yeah, they yeah. miss like And it's not an and- accent, but you're just like, you don't sound quite human that's really interesting you know because obviously we humans send drones everywhere like we don't have humans on mars but we got a couple of different bots running around that would be the first way that you would explore a world and maybe you know travel is difficult for humans from place to place because of all the different stuff we know about the cosmere so like yeah maybe a drone in shard plate moves easier or it's like a Sion inside of a suit that oh, like, okay. the Rasharans can like see into. And so they send their Spren suit with a Sion inside. I don't know. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of possibilities that like this is not just a human radiant well, in person here's, on this planet. Here's what some other people have speculated about that note. The actual quote is, Quote, the voice had an unnatural cast to it, not an accent like someone from a backwater isle, but a kind of unnatural air. Mm -hmm. And so some people have speculated that the unnaturalness about it is that it is a singer and that singer is speaking to Mm -hmm. the rhythm. To the rhythms. Yeah, I thought of that, too. But I just feel like that's not really the way that it's described. I feel like if that was the case, they would have been described as speaking in a sing song you know sing song on rishar but they would be speaking to the rhythms of rishar when they're on a different planet that does not have those rhythms i know but you think that people wouldn't recognize music like at all i think that that could be the explanation of unnaturalness because it is the only thing that any being on their own planet would be familiar with is their rhythm and we assume that like everything i know but also like rhythm. rhythm is rhythm you know like if someone if someone beats a drum like you get i'm it. just presenting <laughs> some of the other theories that are out there i'm not really bought in to that one fully but it is a yeah a possibility a possibility that yeah. the unnaturalness is that there is a disconnect between the rhythm that the singer the is speaking to and yeah. what they are expecting and used to. To me, though, I think that that type of speaking rhythm kind of falls in the same category as accent. Because we find that a lot just here on Earth. You know, if an Italian comes, even if they are speaking great English and like get all of the words right, pronounce everything right, the rhythm of their speech is often slightly different than what we expect. And we like perceive that as an accent. 
And with that heavy speculation, let's get back into and finish up the scene from the Six of the Dust sequel. Tell me, President, the alien said to Vathi, what are your local laws regarding challenges to my life? Do I have legal justification to shoot this man? No, Vathi said, firm though her voice was audibly shaken. You may not. I do not play games, the alien said. I will not dance with words like the others do. You will accept my offer, or you will not. If you do not, if you join them, then I will have legal right to consider you my enemies. The room remained still, Sapling carefully edging his hand away from his sidearm. I do not envy your decision, the armored alien said. You've been thrust into a conflict you do not understand, but like a child who has found himself in the middle of a war zone, you will have to decide which direction to run. I will return in one month, local time. The colored portion of the creature's armor started to glow more brightly, a deep violet that seemed far too inviting a color to come from this strange being. He lifted into the air a few inches, then finally pulled the power pack from his gun, dismissing the weapon to vanish in a puff of mist. He left without further word, gliding back up the hallway past the guards, who stepped away and didn't impede him. This alien had arrived without a ship, but didn't seem to need one to travel the stars. He had flown down out of the sky under the power of, they assumed, his strange and magnificent armor. Once he had gone, the two guards took up positions at the door, sheepishly holding their rifles. They knew, as everyone in the room knew, that no guard would stop a creature like that one if he decided to kill. And we jump back in because... Uh, clearly, Skybreaker... Local laws... What? That's the first real, question. Real about the laws. Always got to know, know the local laws. laws. Says he has legal right. We know a skybreaker when we see one. I think that that kind of shifts it hardcore from any possibility of Windrunner to a skybreaker. It is also shifts us away from not fully, but mostly, I think, away from it being some type of AI. I still think if there's some kind of remote technology mm -hmm. like a Sion or something, this could be a skybreaker talking through technology yeah but because i think this does sway it more in the direction of real life person whether singer or human here in the flesh to me the line though about them seeing no ship that this alien arrived on unlike the scadrians that they seem that he has just flown here in his power armor and that almost pushes it more towards an ai to me because Sure. If the Scadrians have some ability to travel the stars in a ship, and we suspect that they do so with some time dilation to fix the problems of yeah, general I mean, relativity. They would need a bunch of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And they have the power to do it because they can already manipulate time, but Rosharians don't. And so if you're just forcing your way across the Cosmere, just fly that's gonna take a lot of time. You're gonna experience weird relativity stuff. And so I would say that seems like a far worse way to go for a single individual <laughs> yeah. unless their job my is just other, to fly around. Well my other thought was this person could be coming through the cognitive realm simply outside of the line of sight yes. of the people. And so the people, Dusk and his friends, you know, see this person as just coming from the sky, but like maybe that person has popped out of the cognitive realm some ways away and then came down through the sky. 
it does seem because of the mentioned tubes of iron that connect the helmet to the shard plate that it we don't see that necessarily on Rashar and just normal. Oh, shard yeah, plate. that's definitely new. And so that is like clearly breathing a mechanism. life support system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that could also just be for him to be on the planet, yes. not necessarily flying, flying through, through space. space. I agree. And I would hope actually that your explanation is correct and that this is a real person this is a real skybreaker with a either human or singer inside and they didn't fly through space like the scadrians did that they found some type of cognitive anomaly loophole that allowed them to get to patchy yeah i feel like that's the way to go if these people are flying through space like y'all need better systems (laughs) y'all need jesus uh the Deep violet color where the power was being used Mm -hmm. more definitely points me away from Stormlight as the main source. uh, Question mark, question mark? Yeah, not blue. And towards Voidlight or towards Warlight or some other combination that we don't know of yet. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if by this point the people on Rashar were using all lights for different things, right? Just like the Skadrians are using all all the different types of metals in all the different types of metallic arts in order to achieve things. It seems like it would make sense that the people on Rashar were using all the different lights in all the different ways for all the different things. I wonder and heavily speculate if void light is maybe available outside of Rashar. I don't know why that would be the case. It seems like it should still be mostly concentrated on Rashar since Odium is there. Although, um, again, who knows what's happened yeah. between then and now. So to me, who that's knows the key. where Odium is? If Odium wins... Odium might not even exist anymore. He might be splintered. Like, literally, we have no idea. Anything could happen, but it definitely doesn't seem to be Stormlight or Lifelight. Yeah, know. agree. Let's continue and get back to it. Vathi pulled a chair over to the room's small table, then sat down in a slumping posture, her aviar crawling anxiously across her back from one shoulder to the other. This is it, she whispered. This is our fate, caught between the ocean wave and the breaking stone. This job had weathered her. Dusk missed the woman who had been so full of life and optimism for the new advances of the future. Unfortunately, she was right. There was no sense in offering meaningless aphorisms. Besides, she had not asked a question, so he did not respond. Sack chirped, and a body appeared on the table in front of Vathi. Dust frowned. Then that frown deepened, because the corpse was not his. Never in all his time bonded to Sack had she shown him anything other than his own corpse. Even during that dangerous time years ago, when her abilities had grown erratic, even then she'd shown Dusk his own body, just many copies of it. He stepped across the room, and Vathi looked up at him, seeming relieved, as if she expected him to comfort her. She frowned then, when he mostly ignored her to look down on the body on the table. Female, very old, long hair having gone white. The corpse wore an unfamiliar uniform after the cut of the ones above, commendations on the breast pocket, but in another language. It's her, he thought, studying the aged face. It's Vathi, some forty years in the future, dead and dressed for a funeral. Dusk, the living Vathi said. What do you see? Corpse, Dusk said causing some of the others in the room to murmur. They were uncomfortable with Sack's power, which was unique among Aviar. That's wonderfully descriptive, Dusk, Vathi said. One might think after five years, you might learn to answer with more than one word when someone talks to you. He grunted, walking around the vision of the corpse. The dead woman held something in her hands. What was it? 
Corpse, he said, then met living Vathi's eyes. Yours. Mine, Vathi said, rising. She glanced at Sack, who huddled on Dusk's shoulders, feathers pulled tight. Why? Has she ever done this before? Dusk shook his head, rounding the corpse. Body wears a uniform. One of theirs. The ones above. There are symbols on some of the patches and awards. It appears as if prepared for a burial at sea. I cannot read the alien writing. One of the generals scrambled to give him paper and pen. After handing it over, the general backed away, regarding the table as one might a night maw that was ready to pounce. Desk copied the letters on the uniform's most prominent patch. Vathi, read the Secretary of Supply. Colonial Governor of the Occupied Planet First of the Sun. All eyes in the room turned towards Vathi, all but Dusk's. He knew what she looked like, so he kept writing, then nudged the Secretary of Supply again. Looks like a commendation for valor, the woman replied, for putting down what was called the Rebellion of 05. The others are similar. Dust nodded. So if this was a glimpse of the future, it was what Vathi would be when she died, a servant for the ones above, apparently having turned his people's military against rebels who didn't agree. Well, that made sense. He nodded to himself and tried to get a closer look at what the corpse was holding. A small disc, a coin of some sort, with a drawing on it. Dusk, you don't seem as horrified as you should be, the living Vathi said to him. Why should I be horrified, he said. This makes sense. It's what you would do. Probably what you will do. I'm no traitor, she said. He didn't reply. It hadn't been a question, even if it was an incorrect statement. Leave us, she said to the others. Please, we can discuss this prophecy later. I need to confer with the trapper. End quote. Once again, we have new information. So much. Sack is now shown a other person other than Dusk and a future far, far in the future. He's saying like 40 years in the future. Yeah. Well, and I think the mention that Sack's power is completely unique. Among the Aviar. Very interesting. Like, where did Sack come from? How did she get that power? I feel like that is an important note and an important story that will come into play at some point. But then also, like I was saying earlier about the powers sort of evolving as the world changes. Yeah, this is, to me, kind of an example of we're like watching this society move through like Maslow's hierarchy sort of. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where, you know, Dusk started as being super focused on survival, not only because of the status of his world and their development, but because of his job as a trapper. He was specifically putting himself into circumstances where survival was survival for himself specifically, right, was his main focus. But now he is more encompassed into his society. Yes. He has people, friends around him. And so Sack is showing him not only his own things in his own interest, but yes. things in the interest of his tribe. Clearly, we never really understood Sack's power and probably Dust doesn't understand it either. But like his needs are changing. His mm-hmm. world is changing. Yeah. And Sack is adapting to that, yeah. showing the information that is like, most helpful or yeah. what they interpret to be most helpful. Her ability to acknowledge his interconnectedness, Mm -hmm. that like his fate is tied to these decisions that Vathi is making and everyone else is making. That's like very advanced technology, I feel like. (laughs) 
And it might be the AVR in general might be a workaround or a loophole around some of the other restrictions that we've seen across the Cosmere. Yeah, it seems very different from those types of things that are so much more rule based where powers really have like a limited and well-defined arc or are corrupted like we see with the truth watchers Mm -hmm. on rishar i mean i guess you could argue that maybe this is a case of corruption like maybe possibly yeah maybe that device that was activated in the first book corrupted Corrupted. sack in some way and changed the power it would be very interesting if these were Skadrians who chose autonomy instead of harmony. Oh. And so they are like Skadrian in their mm-hmm. nature, but they are not what we would consider like the main Skadrians. Like, you know, if you're leaving and going to they another planet. They don't seem super like autonomous, though. I agree. You know, I'm just speculating. If they're some really focused on, as the Rasharan alien says, expansion, he specifically points out that the Skadrians are colonizing multiple different planets like first of the sun is not the first of the colonized planets (laughs) it is a terrifying thought let's go back into the story and approach the end here they didn't like it they never liked it when vathi listened to him perhaps they'd understand if they listened more themselves still they filed out at request leaving two humans and two avr alone vathi's bird maris hunched down and raised her wings while staring at the table. It seemed that she could sense what Sack was doing. Curious. Dusk, Vathi said. Why do you think I do these things? Progress. It is your way. Progress is not worth the blood of my people. Progress will come anyway, Dusk said. The dusk is past. This is the night. You will presume to find a new dawn and do what you must to guide us there. He looked at her and tried to smile. There is a wisdom to that, Vathi. It is what you taught me many years ago. She wrapped her arms around herself, staring at the table. Must it be? No, I am not dead, am I? She shook her head. I want a way out, Dusk. A way to fight back against them or something. A way to control our own destiny. They're both so confident that they own us. What I wouldn't give to be able to surprise them. You're holding something, Dusk said, leaning down. A coin. A large one. Maybe a medallion. Not money. Engraved with a man on a canoe wearing feathers and holding aloft a board with wave patterns on it. Some kind of trapper? Tenth, the finder, she said and frowned. Seriously, Dusk? He's one of the most famous explorers and trappers who ever lived. My trainer didn't tell me of him. You could read a book or something. The past is important. If it was important, my trainer would have told me about it. So this man must not be important. Vathi rolled her eyes. He was the first man to explore Patchy. Then he likely died quickly, Dusk said. Nodding. It means he must not have known much. The first explorers were stupid. Not because of themselves. They just didn't have experience yet. He looked to her, cocking an eyebrow. He vanished, she admitted, on his second trip there. But we still use some of his exploration routes. These shipping channels to reach the Pantheon Islands. He was important. Dust didn't reply. Because why contradict her? She liked believing this, and she always seemed fond of the stories of old trappers. She fancied herself an amateur one, even still, despite the fact that she had been one of the ones who had ended the entire profession. As Dust was looking at the medallion, the vision finally vanished. Sack chirped, as if apologetic, and when Dust looked at her, the bird's eyes were drooping, as if she was exhausted. I'm going to investigate stepping down, Vathi said. 
a fake coup is silly, but if I simply quit, it could cause political unrest that justifies giving us an excuse to delay negotiations. Plus, it would remove me from a position where I could do damage. Dust nodded, then felt himself growing uncomfortable. For once, he found that he couldn't remain silent. He looked at her. Another will do worse, Vathi. Another will cause more death. You are better than another. Are you sure? No. How could he be? He could not see the future like Sack could. He crouched down beside Vathi's seat, then held his hand toward her. She clasped it, then held tight. He nodded to her. You are stronger than anyone I know, he said, but you are just one person. I learned five years ago that sometimes one person cannot stand before the tide. Then there's no hope. Of course there is. We must become more than one. We must find allies, Vathi. Two peoples have come to bully us, to demand that we give up our resources. There must be others, perhaps those who are weak like we are, with whom together we might be strong. A trapper cannot fight a shadow alone, but a battleship with a full crew? That is something else. How would we find anyone else, Dusk? The ones above have forbidden us from leaving the planet. We're decades, well, maybe centuries away from building flying machines. I will go into the darkness, he said. She looked into his eyes. Though she'd objected each time he'd suggested this, today she said nothing. At times she had become like him, and he like her. She made him believe that they could adapt to the future. He just needed to make her believe that he could help. We sent entire crews into the darkness, Dusk, she said. Scientists. Soldiers. No trappers? Well, no. I will go, he said. I will find help. And if you fail? Then I will die, he said. Like your explorer man. Tenth, the finder, you called him. Dust touched his forehead, then pressed his fingers against hers. I gave up Patchy for the planet, Vathi, but I will not give up the planet to those men from the stars, no matter how brilliant their weapons or amazing their wonders. I will gather you an expedition. Some guards, a crew. She met his eyes. You're going to insist on going alone, aren't you? He nodded. Fool, man. He did not respond, because she might be right, but he was going to go anyway. In scene. I'll follow you into the dark. (laughs) (laughs) So, a bunch of stuff there in the conclusion. Wow. We have Dusk setting off into the darkness, which we think is a shark pool. Cognitive realm. Yeah, exactly. A like-on cell. With the Elantrian pool, we believe that this is probably a shard pool that exists and connects to the cognitive realm. It totally makes sense that they would have sent explorers into there and tried to figure it out, but they also wouldn't have come back because they get lost I or think, something. Duh, tenth the finder who quote unquote vanished on Patchy probably went into the cognitive realm. It also makes sense that Patchy would become like a source of not only Autonomy's referencing his power source on the planet, that also all of these microorganisms that get inside of the worms that the AVR eat come, it's like, you know, a geographic thing. It's just like pulsing out investiture. Yeah, of course. And so it really lines up that the darkness is another thing on Patchy and this is Dusk go- first going back to Patchy mm-hmm. and like re-exploring that a little bit and then diving into something like a shard pool. What happens after that? I have no idea. Is that the entire book? I could totally see like multiple levels and I don't know how like in depth this is because I could see an entire sequel that is like Brandon Sanderson famous for, you know, the political games and kind of the maneuvering of things. And it ends with a dusk diving into the shard pool. But I could also see this being like the first quarter of the book and everything else after. 
From what I read anyway, what I read online is that uh, Brandon hadn't initially intended on writing a sequel for Dusk, but when he got this idea to have Dusk explore the cognitive realm, he felt like that would be like different enough and exciting enough to write a book about. So I think the book is going to be him exploring Dusk exploring the cognitive realm. Totally yeah. makes sense that this is the setup for yeah. all the other stuff that happens. And wow, what a setup it is. I know. Just like it is the perfect little bit that Brandon could tease us with. Again, he said 15 years out before this story is likely to come based on his current timeline and and production levels. And I am simply amazed that so much of the speculation that people had and had put together from words of Brandon and from the stories themselves does seem to be lining up. There's this huge Cosmere economy. There's a war powered Rashar that yeah. is going up against a more technologically powered Scadrial. Yeah, and there just are seeing, other players. Just seeing Rashar and Scadrial start to come like closer to each other and like starting to interact is like exciting and scary. Now, I believe that there is a big question that this leaves us with about is this setting up a happy ending for Rashar or a devastating ending for Rashar? You mean at the end of book five? Yes, because I think that there clearly could be some good, like they seem to be like kind of the good ones. They're giving a slightly better, slightly slightly better better (laughs) form of conquest than the Scadrians. But I'm very worried because the Skybreakers in our main timeline of Stormlight have sided with Odium, who is now Teravodium. And it's that to me says Teravodium is going to win and that the Skybreakers become Oh, are now like the main diplomats. Exactly, because they were the ones who sided with Odium Mm. at first. But we also see Zeph leave the main Skybreaker troop and like... Nail specifically is like, yeah, we're not going to make you stay here. Like, you have to follow your own law, basically. Yeah. So, like, of of the orders, it seems like they'd be cool with Skybreakers going off on their own. And that would kind of be the difference. Is this person a one-off from Rashar? Or is it part of, like, the organized effort of whatever power is controlling Rashar? We have no idea the answer to that. But I think that yeah. it just leaves us with so many little questions that also provide us like a a North Star, so to speak. Like if you kind of look at the North Star and go, you'll get somewhere near North. (laughs) It's not perfect North. We don't know the exact answers, but we do have a guiding principle now that says Brandon is very much interested in space travel, very much interested in the clashing of the civilizations that he has built up. And I think what Dusk says about there being other people, the allies Mm -hmm. that he can look for, Mm -hmm. is that putting... I know. I'm like, who else is out there? Because we don't know about a ton. Yeah, exactly. But my first inkling is just other aspects of autonomy because Pat G is of autonomy. Sure. And so, Okay, other like minor shard worlds. Sure. And then you start to get into the question like that we learned about in Rhythm of War, these other shards, Mercy and whimsy and invention that all of these could be players in the later era for yeah i feel like it's more likely that all of the 
colonized planets are the minor shard worlds that like don't have enough yeah. power Makes to fight sense. back, but have something worth, worth plundering. Harvesting. <laughs> yeah. It's very Dune-esque, and this is something that I didn't necessarily expect, but makes a lot of sense with Brandon, his age, and the importance of Dune in like that time period. It would have been like one of the sci-fi books that would have been super popular when Brandon was young. I have no idea if he's a huge Dune fan, but I think he is, uh, because he's talked about Spice before, and just the idea of like one superpower harvesting all of the resources out of minor planets, definitely setting up a lot of darkness. And I am very worried because of all the seeming darkness mm. and all the seeming clashes mm. that this spells a troubling end for our Stormlight Archive friends. I think that Brandon, though, is so dedicated to like an optimistic worldview and he has specifically talked about this in like conversations with other authors and things like that that he's not really interested in creating a super pessimistic like doom and gloom world but that as we've seen in his writing so far he likes to emphasize the fact that yes things may be dark and things may be difficult and like life is messy but there is always hope yes you will find yeah. the light again well this has been a wonderful way to come back to cosmere conversations from our break good solid first episode back we are back on our normal schedule every other week new episodes talking about all the cosmere connections we have some very exciting series coming to our patreon listeners so if you've been thinking about joining the patreon uh now would be a great time to do so we're gonna do a little book club with all the peeps there and talk about uh the cytonic series and skyward and if you have any interest, there are many different tiers that allow you access over on the Patreon. But even if you are not a patron, join us on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, all the social medias that are possible. I'm super excited for the episodes that we have lined up from now through the holidays. Very excited to be back on the mic having these Cosmere conversations. And I just want to say thanks to all of our listeners for uh, for your patience, for letting us go on a little break over the last month, and we're excited to be back. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. <laughs>